For our scripture reading, we turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The text is verse 17 in the first part of 18. Begin at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. <clears throat> the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, <clears throat> that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So far we read from Holy Scripture. The text that we consider is 
verses 17 and the beginning of verse 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, when we have a sermon right after an announcement like we had this morning, at such a time, on the one hand, we want to stress the seriousness of the sin. from the viewpoint of all of us turning from our own sin and specifically of the sin of drinking not in moderation. And how important it is for all of us to be turning from that sin, young or older whether it be a young person, whether it be an adult, whether it be a younger adult, whether it be an older adult. We want to stress the importance of turning from that sin and also thinking of the seriousness of when one has drunken too much to get behind the wheel. And how serious that sin is. And on the one hand, at a time like this, we want to stress that how we need to hear that. And we need to turn from that. And in turning from all sin, we read of here of a brother's sin. And as the announcement made known as well, we're all directed to think of our own sins, our own violations of the commandments that we read this morning, and that we are to abhor sin, abhor it, and to turn from that sin to our God. And this specific text, in the providence of God, is this idea of looking to God to enlighten us by his spirit. Later on in the, in the book of Ephesians, this the same epistle in chapter 5 verse 18 there we read and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit We see how that applies to this very subject. Those of the world would look to wine, alcohol, whether it be beer, wine, or whatever, and drink in excess as if that's the way to have joy. The scriptures speak of those who have joy in the Holy Spirit. Contrast to those of the world, we have joy in the Holy Spirit. And 
we request the Spirit to continue to enlighten us. And that's what this passage is, a request that we might be enlightened. That we might be continued to be enlightened. And that we might think of the inheritance that we have, the hope that we have in Christ, that's mentioned in the context, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In a time like this, we also do want to speak of the comfort we have in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ. The comfort of the forgiveness of sins. Times when a person has done something and he's so ashamed and sorry and feels so bad about what has happened. For God's people, there is comfort knowing that God forgives us and that we have hope. We have hope. We have comfort and hope and the Spirit who makes known to us the Word of God, who guides us to understand the Scriptures gives us comfort. He's the comforter. He comforts us in our sorrow. We take a look at this text from the viewpoint that this is a request for the enlightening spirit. Paul, in the context, is thanking God for the saints that expresses his love for them. We, too, should remember to thank God for the church and for the gifts he has given to the church. Paul often expressed thanks to God for the saints right at the beginning of the letter. We see that here, and we see that also in the Epistle of Romans and Philippians, for example. And Paul is in prison at the time. This is one of the epistles written in prison. Personally suffering in prison, and yet he speaks of prayer, not that he's requesting that they pray for his release, is not what we read of here, is but that he makes a request for them. While he's in prison, he's thinking about them. And he says, verse 16, I cease not to give thanks for you. While he's going through what he is in prison, he ceases not to give thanks for the saints making mention of you in my prayers. And then he requests that they might receive the Spirit. Now he already had spoken of them being sealed by the Spirit. That's in verse 13. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. They had received the Spirit. 
They did know God. Yet he requests that they may continue to be enlightened, that they may grow, that they may be more enlightened. That was his request for the saints in Ephesus, and that is our desire as well. And we consider this passage under the theme, Requesting the Enlightening Spirit. We consider, first of all, the need, secondly, the work, and thirdly, the, the request. First, with regard to the need, we need the Spirit to enlighten us. By nature, man has no true knowledge of God. He knows there is a God, and he, and he hates him. The natural man is unable to come to a true knowledge of God. The mind of the natural man is total darkness. He can't see, and he does, uh, does not desire to be taught, not taught the word of God. That is clearly evident. It's clearly taught in Scripture. And what do we, what do we see around us? Not only in this area, but in the world in general. Regarding knowing what the Scripture says, many have very little knowledge of what scripture says and there's also many who study it and they twist it they don't like what it says and they study it and twist it and of all of the many that do not know what the scriptures say if you were to talk to them about the scriptures they're not interested in listening to you they don't want to be taught they don't want to turn from their sin. They want to continue on in sin. They don't want to be punished, but they want to continue on in their sin. God's judgment comes on those who know not God and who do not obey. We read of that in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Taking vengeance on them that know not God. And don't obey. The gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 5, it speaks of us in contrast. The children of God are to be in contrast, are to walk as those who walk apart from this world, from the Gentiles, unlike the Gentiles which know not God. The context there is speaking of fornication. And it says, let every one of you know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, 
which is desiring unlawful pleasure, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which don't know God, man by nature does not know God, and he walks in sin. And the judgment of God comes upon him in this life and that which is to come. We need the Spirit to cause us to know him. When we talk about man by nature, we recognize that that's how we would be. And we still have a depraved nature. We needed the Spirit to cause us to know God. We could not see ourselves unless God opened our eyes. We needed God to infuse faith into us so that we had that certain knowledge and assured confidence. The image of God is, to bear the image of God means one has a true knowledge of God, is righteous and holy. That's what it means to bear the image of God. Only those who are born of God bear God's image, are his children, bear his image, and have a true knowledge of God. We needed the Spirit to cause us to know him, to give us a true knowledge of God. We now need God to finish what he has begun. We need him to continue to cause us to grow. All our salvation is entirely God's work. He gave us faith, and we need him to cause us to grow, to grow in that faith. One more point with regard to the need there is not some what is some people refer to as preparatory work of the spirit there are those who have taught and this is taught by some puritans for example that there is what's called preparatory grace before regeneration. Preparatory grace, preparatory means that it is before regeneration, so it is said. Some who receive it never are regenerated. They receive preparatory grace, but they're never regenerated, so it's said which would mean then that this preparatory grace is to more than the elect and that it's resistible. One who receives this grace may be illuminated, it is said, to a degree, feel convicted of sin and desire mercy, and yet not be regenerated. You see how we bring that up here, where this is a request for the enlightening spirit, the need for the enlightening spirit. And it's important to see here that this is a request for those that have already been enlightened. It's not talking about an enlightened, that there is no in gracious work before regeneration. 
that has some kind of a, any kind of a positive effect in the unregenerate. The unregenerate don't hunger for righteousness. In fact, that's one of the errors in the canons. That's one of the errors that we reject. The heirs of those who teach that the unregenerate man is not really nor utterly dead in sin nor destitute of all powers unto spiritual good, but that he can yet hunger and thirst after righteousness and life. We say that's not true. It goes on later and says, to offer unto God, this, it says, to hunger and thirst after deliverance from misery and to offer unto God the sacrifice of a broken spirit is peculiar to the regenerate. Only the regenerate desire, see the need and confess the need and desire the enlightening spirit. The unbeliever doesn't desire to go to hell but he does not desire deliverance from sin. He does not hunger for righteousness. We needed God to regenerate us without our requesting it. To raise us from the dead so that we knew God and saw our need to continue to be enlightened more. Now this spirit, we turn now to consider what, what does the spirit, the enlightening spirit, what does he do? We're to seek him, we're to, we're to request the spirit. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask him. What does the Spirit do? He is called in the context the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In fact, that's in the, the very text itself. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the Spirit, and this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The Spirit of wisdom and revelation. The spirit of wisdom makes known to us God's wisdom. He reveals God's wisdom. He's called the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He's the one that makes known to us, that reveals to us the wisdom of God. Now, what is wisdom? We think of someone who has wisdom as someone who is able to discern the term wisdom in English refers to somebody that can discern inner qualities and relationships and make sound judgments, sound judgments. We think of Solomon showing his wisdom and making a sound judgment. Wisdom, one with wisdom, perceives the best ends, the best goal, and the best means to attain the goal. So he considers, what is the goal? What's the proper goal? 
What is the best means to use to attain that goal? One with wisdom has knowledge and is able to make good use of it. Good use of the knowledge that he has. And to show that in his life. To show that in the decisions that he makes. That it manifests that he is one who has wisdom. To have wisdom, one must know God and his will. One who knows God and his will has wisdom. That's brought out in the very context in verses 8 and 9. Notice how it connects the idea of wisdom with knowing God's will. Knowing God and his will. In verse 8 it says, Having abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. So now we think of how that one who has wisdom knows God and God's will from Scripture. From Scripture that speaks to us about the purpose of God, that this chapter is speaking about that in length. The purpose of God. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things which are in Christ, all things in Christ and so on. He's talking about the purpose of God. One who knows God and his will has wisdom. Now the revelation of that wisdom. Revelation includes God's act of causing us to understand. It's not just that God tells us, but he also works in us by his spirit so that we understand, so that we see. An unbeliever may be there where the gospel is preached, and in a sense, you know, he hears the words. Or you could read him the scriptures, and he hears what you say, and if you were to say, now what did that say? They might be able to just come right back and tell you what it says. They know what it says. If they were to read it from a certain point of view, they know what the words are. But they don't have the understanding. God reveals himself to his people Enlightening them. Enlightening us. The eyes of our heart. Literally, that's what it says there in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding is literally the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Enlightened. Now, light must enter the eye for one to see. When you think of the physical eye, the eye of the body. body. Light must enter the eye for us to see. Spiritually, we think of Christ, the Word of God. He's the light. If we don't have Christ, the Word, if we didn't have Christ, the Word, the light, we'd be in darkness. 
And the Spirit guides us to understand the Word. He doesn't bring us a new revelation that's additional to what we have in Scripture. He guides us to understand what is said here. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him does. The Spirit reveals to us what we have in Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God. The Spirit enlightens us. We see Christ. Christ, by his Spirit, is the one teaching us wisdom. In the preaching of the gospel, we hear his voice. He shows us the blessings we have in him. The gospel, the good news of Christ and of his death, we hear that he's paid for our sins, that he's washed us, cleansed us, and that his spirit indwells us and that his spirit will sanctify us. Think of when a child is baptized. That we hear that the Spirit will dwell in us, sanctifying us, applying unto us that which we have in Christ, the washing away of our sins, and the daily renewing of our lives. The Spirit reveals to us Christ. We, he guides us to see our hope. It is important in the trials we go through to have our mind directed to our hope. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. He has called us we have hope. Speaks of the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of the inheritance. It's an inheritance. It's a gift. The riches that we have in Christ with all the saints. Those of the world are without God. They have no hope. In the midst of trials and sorrows, we do have hope. And the Spirit tells us the will of God. He tells us what God has promised us. We hear that. We, by the grace of God, believe that. We have hope. passage speaks of that we may know what is the hope of his calling and then verse 9 says and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe it speaks of the riches we have the inheritance we have the hope we have the power that is in us. In us. The Spirit is the power of God. The Spirit who Christ gives to us. And note, it speaks of the exceeding greatness of the power. 
the exceeding greatness of the power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. We're to think of the exceeding greatness of his power. He raised him from the dead. He exalted him to the right hand of God. We're to think on the exceeding greatness of his power that's in us according to the working of that mighty power which he wrought in Christ. The Spirit is also in us. The Spirit who delivers us from sin, who conforms us to Christ, who delivers from our sins. You know, when we pray, when we get to the last petition of the Lord's Prayer, where we ask, deliver us from evil. We ask God to strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit reveals to us the blessings we have in Christ. The Spirit is given to us by the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That's what he's referred to as. Notice he's the God of Christ. We refer to Christ from the viewpoint of his human nature. Jehovah God is the God of Christ. And he's our God, we who are in Christ. He's the Father of Christ. He's the Father of us who are in Christ. He's the glorious Father. Father of glory, who sent his Son, that he might redeem us and bring many sons unto glory. The Spirit reveals to us what we have in Christ Jesus. And we're to request this enlightening for others and for ourselves. Paul told the Ephesians he was requesting this for them. He speaks positively of their faith and love. He wasn't talking to them as if they did not know God. When he says he's, he's requesting that God might give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, he's not talking to them as if they don't know God. He speaks about their faith. In verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, he heard of their faith, and their love, they showed love unto all the saints. They had faith. They loved the saints. And he also tells them that he's requesting that they might be more enlightened. We desire that growth too. We desire that others might progress, our children. You know, our young people here. It gives us great joy when we see that you're starting to study the scriptures more diligently on your own. When we see that you're being more attentive to the word. When we see that you're entering in more into discussion. When the word is being talked about. It gives us great joy. We pray for you, children. We pray for you and as those who are God's children, who know God, and yet we desire you to grow. 
That's our desire for our children. That's our desire for our grandchildren. For our great-grandchildren. To see them grow. To see them enlightened. To see their mind on the hope we have in Christ. To see that they seek wisdom. You think of how in the book of Proverbs there's repeated reference to, you know, seeking wisdom, asking God for wisdom. Solomon requested wisdom. That's our prayer for for you children, for you young people. It's our prayer for our church. It's our prayer for our churches. It's our prayer for the saints in other nations. We're desiring that the gospel go forth and that there be more men raised up to preach the gospel in the nations and that the Lord would continue to bless our missionaries in their work and the saints in other lands. It's good to tell one another that we thank God for one another and that we desire that they may continue to grow. That's what Paul does here. He thanks God for the saints, he speaks of their faith and love, and he talks about his desire that they may grow. And he tells them that. We desire that we ourselves might grow, too. Not proudly thinking that we have little to learn. We're all far from the mark. However much we might think we know, we must, one who makes this request, we need to know our own need to grow. To desire growth not just for others, but to desire growth ourselves. We not only desire our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren, but that the great-grandfather, the great-grandmother is desiring growth himself or herself too. That we learn. We desire a clearer, fuller understanding. And that should be evident in our life, that we desire that. That we pray, hallowed be thy name, grant us rightly to know thee, and to glorify thee. Grant us rightly to know thee, desiring more to learn. It should be evident in our life that we're not drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine. Be ye filled with the Spirit. And God says he gives his grace and Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And who are thankful. And the ones who have the Holy Spirit, they are the ones that have joy. The world in its drunkenness does not have joy. Though they will turn to it again and again and again and again as if that's going to give them the joy and, help, and they get through each day. The Bible does speak about wine that gladdens the heart of man. But we understand the importance of drinking it, drinking if we drink it, in careful moderation even as the scriptures tell us and warns us. And it says in contrast, be ye filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. The Psalms, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that those are the songs we sing. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always, Singing the Word of God, talking about the Word of God, studying the Word of God, singing the Word of God. That we desire that growth should be evident then in, the, in our own study of the Scriptures. Is that evident in your own life 
in your own searching of the scriptures on your own, whether you're a young person or whether you're older. And also studying with the saints as we begin a new year of society, as our societies start up again, the importance of us gathering together with the saints, learning from one another. Together we grow. We see the benefit of us studying the scriptures together. We encourage, we have an opportunity to encourage one another, get to know one another more. And in our worship services, being attentive, present in our worship services, attentive, alert. And that we together talk about the things we read, the things we hear, that we together talk about the word of God, that the Christ speaks to us. The Spirit works in us to request to be enlightened. We're to request this, and it's the Spirit that works in us to do that. To desire this growth than to request it. And God grants the request of those who ask. He grants the request of those who ask and who are thankful. Who are thankful. And that brings us back to what we had at the beginning where it talked about Paul thanking God for the saints. Thinking he's thankful for the work of the Spirit in the saints. We're to be thankful for the church, thankful for the work of the Spirit in our midst, thankful for the grace he gives to us and our children, and we request more. And God grants that to us. He hears our prayer. He will guide us in the troubles we face, the Lord is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We have the Spirit who's the comforter. He guides us into truth. He brings to our remembrance what God has taught us. He strengthens us in the battle. We are assured he'll, God will never leave us nor forsake us, us or our children in Christ. May we keep coming to him, looking to him for what we need, trusting in him. And may we together encourage one another and live to the honor of his name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, we are thankful, O Lord, for the work of thy spirit. Lord, enlighten us. Lord, cause us to grow in wisdom and understanding. Lord, strengthen us in the battle of faith. We're very thankful for the comfort, O Lord, that we have in Christ. Forgive our sins. Deliver us from evil. And may thy name be praised by us and thy people in all nations. In Christ's name, amen.